This is the Africa service of Vatican Radio. Welcome to our half-hour daily program for Africa. In today's program, you can hear our feature family. First, however, our bulletin of church news. I am Festus Tarawali. Pope Francis on Sunday encouraged the faithful to build their home with God addressing the thousands of pilgrims and visitors present in St. Peter's Choir for the Angelus, the Pope said our journey during this period of Lent beckons us to build a greater sense of home with God by strengthening our relationship through prayer, trust and intimacy, while also building fellowship and fraternity with our brothers and sisters. He took his cue from the Gospel reading of the day that recounts the episode when Jesus drove out the merchants from the temple. Tadeus Jones has this report. Addressing the visitors and pilgrims in St. Peter's Square for the Midday Angelus Prayer, Pope Francis reflected on the Sunday Gospel for the day that recounts the episode when Jesus drove out the merchants from the temple, admonishing all by saying, Stop making my father's house a marketplace. The Pope then examined how our approach to the Lord differs depending on whether we have a market or home type mindset. The market approach to temple worship recalls when it was enough to buy a lamb and consume it on the altar of coals to be right with God, he explained, a process of purchasing, paying, and consuming. The idea instead of the temple being understood as a home implies the opposite, he said, where one goes there to meet the Lord and draw close to him as well as to our brothers and sisters as a community that shares joys and sorrows. The zealous action of Jesus recounted in today's gospel shows how the Lord does not accept the market temple that takes the place of the house temple, the Pope explained, adding that the market approach creates a distant and mercenary relationship with God, while the home understanding an intimate, trusting rapport with the Lord as in a loving family. He underscored that the Lord came to bring communion with him and among our brothers and sisters. Our Lenten journey calls on us to build a greater sense of home within ourselves and all around us, the Pope went on to say, first towards God through prayer, like children who knock confidently at the Father's door without getting tired, and next through building fraternity with our brothers and sisters, saying there's a great need for it in our world today. Pope observed how in our daily lives we often encounter isolation or what seems to be a hostile environment in many places. He suggested we examine the nature of our relationships with others and whether we take the first step to bring down the walls of silence or bridge the emptiness that stands between us. He also recommended we look at our prayer life, whether we treat it just as a duty to pay while we look at the clock or a time of trusting abandonment in the Lord. He concluded, may Mary help us to build a home with God among us and around us. I'm Thaddeus Jones. In remarks after reciting the Marian prayer at the Angelos, the Pope issued a heartfelt appeal for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza 
and for the Palestinian population to receive urgently needed aid. He also appealed for the release of Israeli hostages held by Hamas. Linda Bodoni reports. Pope Francis has called on us all to say, enough, stop the war in the Middle East. Every day in my heart, I carry the pain and suffering of the populations in Palestine and Israel due to the ongoing hostilities, said Pope Francis on Sunday in yet another heartfelt appeal for a ceasefire in Gaza. And expressing grief for the thousands of dead, the wounded, the displaced, the immense destruction that wreaks pain and suffering on the smallest and most defenseless who see their future compromised, the Pope called on all men and women of goodwill to raise their cry for peace. Speaking during the Angelus in St. Peter's Square, he asked, do we really think we are building a better world in this way? Let us all say, enough please, he repeated. Stop the war. The Pope continued with an appeal to go forward with negotiations for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza and throughout the region. So that the hostages may be freed and returned to their anxiously awaiting loved ones, he said. And so the civilian population may have safe access to necessary and urgent humanitarian aid. And looking ahead to the second edition of the 5th March International Day for Disarmament and Non-Proliferation Awareness, the Pope lamented that many resources are wasted in the purchase of weapons. He said, how many resources are wasted on military expenditure, which, due to the current situation, sadly continues to increase. I sincerely hope that the international community understands that disarmament is first and foremost a duty. Disarmament is a moral duty, stressed the Pope, adding, let's get this into our heads. Continuing, he said, and this requires the courage on the part of all members of the great family of nations to move from the balance of fear to the balance of trust. This Sunday, the 3rd of March, is World Wildlife Day. The day was established on the 20th of December 2013 at the UN General Assembly with the aim of commemorating the adoption of the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora or CITES on the 3rd of March, 1973. Here is a part of the message from Yvonne Iguero, Secretary General of CITES for this year's observance. This year, World Wildlife Day invites us all on a journey to explore technological innovation dedicated to the conservation of our planet's magnificent animals and plants. Digital innovation is transforming the way we safeguard our invaluable biodiversity. Groundbreaking apps now enable us to tell apart different tiger species in seconds. Drones are helping us roam large areas to locate sea turtle nesting sites. 
advanced tracking systems, real-time data analytics, and artificial intelligence-driven solutions are empowering conservationists with unprecedented tools to help identify, monitor, track, and ultimately preserve our wildlife. However, as we leverage our growing technological capacities, we must also revitalize our commitments to sustainable development. This includes preventing destructive ecological impacts, mitigating threats to species and livelihoods from the misuse of technology, and ensuring digital inclusion for all by 2030. We find ourselves navigating an evolving landscape of digital connectivity and wildlife conservation. Now is our chance to harness the benefits that emerging technologies bring, both to the natural world and to humanity. Now is the time to build the sustainable future where planet and people flourish together. That was Yvonne Iguero, Secretary General of CITES, that is the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora. Nigeria's pioneer Catholic University, Veritas University in Abuja, recently organized a media parley to inform the public on the progress of the institution and seek support where necessary. Delphine Asu reports from Abuja. The media parley took place at the school's premises in Bari Area Council, Abuja. The Vice-Chancellor, Reverend Father Professor Hyacinth Ichoku, encouraged government support of private universities, but was skeptical about the encumbrances it might attract. The good idea for third fund to extend is, is funding to private universities in Nigeria because the students here are also not just in Veritas, but also in other private universities, are also citizens of this country. And so if they benefit from the funding that is derived from the taxes their parents pay, I think it's a good idea, very good idea. So I think it's, it would be a great thing for them to extend their, their benevolence to you know, private universities. But the other side of the story is we don't at the same time want to be encumbered. We don't want to be encumbered by the procedures or the, the I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say some embarrassment that come from public funding where uh, people now begin to come and believe that they can share or oh, now the money is being allocated to private universities and they want to come and share give us a court or, you know you know you understand what I mean uh, you come for oversight function you want to see what has been done or oh, you must give us this otherwise you won't approve this won't approve your budget if we don't get this amount. The media parlay was an opportunity to reel out other feeds of the school, which follows the success of the school in the telecommunications innovative competition that took place in Kenya. And that involves all the universities in Africa, but particularly the shortlisted 26 last ones. In the process, uh, Veritas University's innovation emerged the best in Africa. Of all the universities in Africa, Veritas University was the champion of uh, the, you know, the debate which was organized in Nairobi, what you call the Pan-African Universities, you know, championship. Prior to that time, and of course to qualify them to go to Africa in Nairobi was actually a competition of all the universities in Nigeria, where Veritas University was also the champion. That qualified them to represent Nigeria, I mean, not just Nigeria, but the whole of Africa in the intercontinental debate that will be happening in uh, New York in April. All the competition they did in accounting 
that was was accounting championship. And again, Veritas University was the first. And that was repeated a year after. So, and um, the one they did, our NFCS people, National Association of Federation of College Students, the one they did for the whole of uh, Abuja Ecclesiastical Province, of course, Veritas University was also the first. It was also an opportunity to call for investors to take advantage of the innovative strides of the students of Veritas University. In terms of uh, developing these, these uh, inventions and innovations to their next level. So we need to have investors, we need to have entrepreneurs who are ready to help our students. Some of them have also registered. I can tell you some of our students have registered companies. In Abuja, Nigeria, Delphine Asu reporting. You are tuned to the Africa service of Vatican Radio. And now our feature, family. Church in Africa as a family of God. Its people, challenges, values, and hopes. My name is Father Paul Samasumo with your program, Family. Interregional meeting of the bishops of Southern Africa in Bisa, an association of Catholic bishops have this week been meeting in Pretoria, South Africa, for a five-day workshop on promoting safeguarding in the church. Our correspondent Sheila Pirish spoke to the secretary of the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors, Father Andrew Small. Father Andrew, thank you so much for talking to us about this workshop on promoting safeguarding in the church. What have been your thoughts? Well, it's it's very encouraging to see at the level of a regional bishops conference um, the people who are responsible or taking up this agenda around safeguarding uh, to come together uh, for several days uh, intensely to look at the main highlights. And it's very encouraging. And they're very committed, caring people. Um, so I like them as well as people, which is always helpful. Um, and they have lots of experience uh, and they're trying to be pioneers in their own individual conferences, which is not always easy since there are some who maybe wish we weren't talking about this so much. But everyone here is pretty committed to the agenda and very energized by by our spending time together. For Inbisa, what would be your advice on the way forward following this workshop. Look, I, I was saying this morning, the church is not a talking shop. All the church knows how to do is implement 42 million children in Catholic schools around the world, 25% of healthcare in sub-Saharan Africa run by the Catholic church. You talk to any layperson, priest, sister, they're talking about food pantries or clinics or schools or visiting the sick. We are implementers. That's all we care about is is making the body of Christ real for people. That's the same here. And, and Imbisa knows that it has a big network. It has a big reach, all of the various bishops' conferences, and they will filter that through their, their own structures so that we have the best policies and pre- procedures to keep children safe, to prevent abuse from happening anywhere, and then knowing what to do when it's uncovered and to deal with it swiftly. So, Father Andrew, how do you see the covering up of uh, cases of child abuse, uh, of even adults, vulnerable adults as well? I mean, we do know that there are 
situations or scenarios where cases are covered up and some people see it also as a taboo to speak about abuse, be it within the family cycle, be it in religious orders. How can the church in Africa deal with this? Does it exist? Well, of course it exists. I mean, this is a phenomenon all over the world and it also is a phenomenon uh, in Africa. The public statistics around the incidence of sexual violence and violence against children are quite shocking. Um, we know that the majority of abuse in this way does not happen inside the church. It's not taken place by church personnel. But when it does, it has its own very grave and serious consequences because of the breakdown of trust and the betrayal of trust. And as we've seen in other parts of the world, and I have no reason to believe it's not the same, the tendency to protect the institution, to maybe cover things up or hope it goes away or move the problem, sometimes out of good intentions to respect people's privacy. I know the whole question of sexual violence is not talked about and might be a taboo because people feel the stigma. Even if they're victims and they talk about it, they will feel the stigma with their own families. And this is a terrible terrible silent prison that people are in but the church cannot remain inactive we can't just say because it's a taboo we're not going to do anything about it people are suffering and suffering in silence that's not what the church can stand on the sidelines by and do nothing so i think it's there i certainly think from the holy father on down it's made very clear there is to be zero tolerance no covering up no turning a blind eye no hoping it's going to go away, especially something as grave as this. There are policies, procedures, there are measures, there are canonical procedures. They need to be followed. People need to be held account. And then decision makers, leaders need to be held account. The Holy Father said, you cannot turn a blind eye. And if you do, there will be consequences. So I am serious about it because it's a serious matter. But we can't just say because it's covered up or because it's a taboo in society, I'm not going to do anything. That just doesn't work anymore. How do you see the rest of Africa when it comes to preventing or rather promoting safeguarding policies? Well, thanks for asking. We've, we already uh, signed a cooperation agreement with Amasea, which is in, uh, in the East African Bishops' Conferences. I think that's 11 or 13 of them there. So they have a three-year plan that they've been working on for a while. The ASEAC, ASERAC bishops, French-speaking also, talking to them. And then there's uh, SIDAC, of course, the, the overarching piece which we've had uh, uh, on their agenda recently. And I know the president, uh, Cardinal uh, Mbongo Fridolin, is part of the Pope's C9. And the, we just had an hour-long conversation about the importance of, of reporting on these questions, formation and training. So I think there's great commitment from, from that overarching body also. Thank you so much for your time. Any last remarks? Just that, you know, the church has been keeping people safe from all sorts of perils and dangers ever since its beginning. In fact, the word salvation, which we talk about a lot, is about safety. I mean, it's one of the great cravings of the human heart is to feel safe, feel safe when we lose somebody, where does my loved one go? We know that they are safe. They are safe in God's hands. When we drop our children off to school, we want them to be safe. When we're worried about losing our job or can we pay the bills, it's that insecurity that the church comes to try and be present and be concrete and help people fix the problems that they face. And I think safety is at the heart of our ministry, and that's really what we're about here. Also attending the workshop was Imbisa Standing Committee member, Bishop William Christians of Kitmanshub Diocese in Namibia. Sheila Pirsch also asked him to give his take on the workshop. 
I've been part of the standing committee of Imbiza, and uh, this workshop was a wonderful event for me. What stood out for you, and what are you taking back home to Namibia? I mentioned it was a wonderful event, although the realization of such an important task we have, and in actual fact, painful, painful because we are a, a church uh, challenged by trauma, all hurt, all of us in one way or another. But looking at the picture of our church, how wounded we are, it has been made even worse by the fact that this woundedness has not been healed by putting in place certain mechanisms so that we can deal with the woundedness. And especially with reference to this particular workshop, which is the safeguarding of children and minor adults. The realization that even though Pope Francis has given out the motto proprio, vos estis lux mundi, challenging us to put structures in place. The realization is that in many places it's on paper, has not filtered down to the practical level of doing so that our children and the vulnerable adults can feel safe. And this particular workshop had so many ways of showing us. In fact, every um, presentation that's been done was really bringing together that at the very end, summed up by Father Andrew Small, saying that we need to put in place uh, safety systems. We need to. It's not an option. It's a must. Because we need to create the safe havens right from the family, right down to the societal level. And for Imbiza, in all our regions of the Imbiza um, setup, this needs to, and I'm sure many has started already, but there are some where it's still not just on paper. And for me personally, in my diocese and in the context of the Namibian Catholic Bishops' Conference, I realized much more needs to happen. It needs to filter down right to our very outstations, way out in the rural areas. So all in all, all of us can take back something from we, we we receive the tools, we receive the the guidelines that needs to be done, and we need that commitment, all of us from here, to go back and really get stuck into it. So that's the reason why I'm saying it was really a good a good uh, workshop. Churches, Catholic churches, don't want to have the same experience as the church in Germany with the cases of abuse, the scandals of abuse. And so it's sometimes better to just keep quiet and not talk about it. Now, how do you encourage a region like Imbisa, the Episcopal conferences within Imbisa, to engage in these conversations, to have workshops about safeguarding policies and to actually implement these policies at parish level. It's a very good point that in the Mbiza region, uh, we need to really have these kind of workshops on the conference level, on the level of parishes, on the level of outstations, because, you know, we, we, we need to be accountable. There's just no way we can still 
push it out and say it's not something that we can, you know, put to the forefront. It should be at the forefront in everything we do, in our ministry of evangelization. A healthy way of doing evangelization is when you come to bring the good message of our Lord to people and share with them the good news, because that's what it's all. The wounded, the hurt, those neglected, the vulnerable, this is our this is our main task as church. So there's no way where we can not be involved in this process of conscientization, but also put systems in place. Yes, the church in Germany and the way it has been done, it has really raised eyebrows in the way how um, the German church has been doing it. There's a lot of questions around it all. Uh, for us in the Imbiza region where we are from, we need to, to, to really get into the mode of accountability, of healing, of care for all our people, the wounded especially, our children, the vulnerable. And these systems that needs to be put in place should be done as soon as possible. In fact, it should have been done yesterday already. Bishop Christians, thank you so much for your time. Anything else you want to add? I go back knowing that I need to make a change and a difference and promote safeguarding wherever I go. Thank you, Sheila. And that's just about all we had on Family this week. Our appreciation to our guests as well as to Sheila Pierish in South Africa. You have been listening to Family with Father Paul Samasumo. You are tuned to the Africa service of Vatican Radio. In our next program at the same time tomorrow, you can hear our feature, The African Synod, The Church Alive in Africa Today. I am Festus Tarawali and do join us then. Praise be Jesus Christ. Laudetur Jesus Christus.